be with you all here today and online as well. Welcome. It is Father's Day, and uh, typically on Mother's Day, I've always read a reading uh, that kind of addresses the various ways people experience Mother's Day. For some, it's a wonderful day. For some, it's a hard day. Well, this year, I've adapted that reading for fathers because we know that for some, Father's Day is a very joyful occasion, and for others, it's very difficult. So let me read uh, this reading this morning, this Father's Day, and then we'll look to the Word. To those who became a dad this year, we celebrate with you. To those who ache because you want so badly to be a dad, but God has not yet given you the opportunity, we mourn with you. To those striving to maintain a healthy work-life balance so you can be there for your growing family, we appreciate you. To those who lost a child this past year, we are brokenhearted with you. To those who are foster dads, mentors, spiritual fathers, we are so grateful for you. To those wrestling with the frustration and sorrow of infertility, we hurt with you. To those who have warm, close relationships with their children, we rejoice with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their father this year or any year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your father, we acknowledge and lament your pain. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and overall testing of fatherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and fathering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you longed for it to be. To those who are stepfathers, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests this upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To fathers whose parental rights have been taken away, we ache with you. And to those whose wives are pregnant, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Father's Day, we walk with you. Being a dad is not for the faint of heart. We have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. Happy Father's Day. All right, we're going to uh, turn our attention now to God's Word. If you want to turn to Psalm 43. Last week, we jumped back into a summer in the Psalms, and we looked at Psalm 42, which is all about putting your hope in God, and we're going to continue on that wavelength this morning as we look at Psalm 43, which most scholars believe was at one time part of Psalm 42, why they're separated in our English Bible. Who knows? Who cares? You will see that they really do go together. And so Psalm 43, like Psalm 42, is about putting your hope in God, which is something we need to do as a church in a season of transition, but it's also something we just always need to do as human beings. We're designed to have hope. Now, I want to give you an update. Last week, I told you that we were needing to hope in God because our house was on the market, and in the open house, our AC went out. Um, well, this week, a, a week later, I can tell you that we got 10 offers, and, um, and we took them all. <laughs> we're going to be rich. Uh, actually, I found out it doesn't work that way. Uh, but we did sell our house, and uh, God was very gracious, and so we're very thankful for that. Uh, we put our hope in him, and, and he proved his faithfulness to us. It was wonderful. So uh, we're going to continue thinking about hope this morning. The late, great Billy Graham once said, 
Our world today so desperately hungers for hope. So right. Well, let's uh, look for even more hope this week as we look at Psalm 43. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that we can hope in you. Uh, Help us this morning see that we are fools to hope in anything else. Help us this morning to see you are the proper aim for our hope and fill us with hope, we pray. And we ask that as we look at your word this morning for your glory as well as for our own joy. Would you give us hope in Christ this morning? We pray in his name. Amen. Kids, if you're looking for a word of the day, it's going to be hope again this week. I hope I said it enough last week. I hope I say it enough again this time as well. I'm sure you hope I say hope a lot if you're tracking the number of words and if you get a penny of each time I say the word of the day. I hope you do. I hope your parents will consider that. Last week we talked about hope and we talked about how in a fallen world, in our fallen hearts and minds, hope does not come natural. What, What comes natural to us, what's easy for us is despair. And remember, hope and despair are kind of similar in the way that they both spring forth from our imagination. Do we imagine a good future or a bad future? If we imagine a good future, that's hope. If we imagine a sad or tragic future, that's despair. And so as we are thinking about that, we have a God who wants us to have hope. And hope actually takes some work on our part. Uh, It is a free gift from God, but he wants wants us to do some work to get it. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, What we're going to see this morning, as the psalmist moves from 42 to 43, he moves sort of from lament to prayer, and you see that he's going to start doing something here. He's going to depend more greatly on God. That's the work that brings about hope, the the work of depending even more greatly on God. And so our focus this morning is that greater dependence on God through faith in Christ produces greater hope in our lives. I'll say that again. Greater dependence on God through faith in Christ will produce greater hope in our lives. And so we want to we work harder at depending on God. And so we want to talk about uh, depending on God in three ways that we see in this psalm this morning. Uh, one, depending on him for our righteousness and our reputation. Depending on God for our righteous, righteousness and our reputation. Number two, depending on God for our understanding, 
of life in general as well as the circumstances we might be facing, uh, depending on God for our understanding. And then third, depending more on God for our joy. So if you're making an outline, we're going to talk about those three things, depending more and more on God for our righteousness and reputation, for our understanding of things, and for our joy. We do those things, and then we have much more hope. So let's start, look at verse 1. Let's talk about depending on God for our righteousness and our reputation. The more we depend on him for our righteousness and our reputation, the more hope we'll have. Look at what the psalmist says here, verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. Now you've got to have a little context here. Remember last week in Psalm 42, the psalmist was talking about how he was going through something incredibly difficult, some unspecified adversity. He was so upset he couldn't even eat. And on top of that, people are mocking him, saying, where is your God? That's who he's talking about, these ungodly people and deceitful and unjust men. They were saying, where is your God? Because they were operating to the natural human response to adversity and suffering. God must not care about you. God must have abandoned you. And so what's happening here is the psalmist believes God has not abandoned him. It feels like it, but he believes God has not abandoned him. And he believes that he is in a right relationship with God as well. In fact, he probably believes that whatever this situation involves, he has done the right thing. But these ungodly people, these unjust people, are clearly saying about him things that aren't true, or they're saying that he has made mistakes when he hasn't. And so what does he want? He wants vindication. And that's what he says in verse 1. Vindicate me, God. Vindicate me. Now, vindication is when you are cleared of all blame or suspicion. Imagine if someone was arrested for murder, a murder they did not commit. They're obviously going to want to be vindicated. They're going to want to they're going to want somebody to prove that they didn't do what people say that they did. Vindication is when you're cleared of blame or suspicion. And so the psalmist wants that, but look what he does. He does not depend on himself to vindicate himself. He cries out to his God, vindicate me. And one of the things this teaches us then is that like the psalmist, you and I, also can have hope when we look to God to vindicate us because every single one of us has had situations in which people are thinking wrongly about us or maybe they think we've done something wrong when we haven't. And there's, you, you know, you know that feeling, right? When, you're, when you know you haven't done something wrong but somebody thinks you've done something wrong, it's just like, oh man, that rips. And so you felt like that. Well, he felt like, but, but look what he's doing. He's saying to God, vindicate me. And here's the sweet truth of this. I think he knew that God will vindicate him. And you and I, who follow Christ, we can know that we will be vindicated, that all the things people thought we did wrong when we actually did the right thing, that'll come out. Jesus talks about this uh, in Luke 8, 17. He said, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So if you are living knowing that people are thinking wrong things about you, as desperate as you are to try to set the record straight, look to the psalmist, look what he's doing, and follow. Trust that God will vindicate you at some point. Ooh, what hope, knowing that your vindication is in the hands of an almighty God, right? 
Well, now think about this, though. What is it about vindication? Why do we want so desperately to be proven right or to prove that we didn't do something wrong in that situation? Why do we want that? Because underneath that is this desperate thirst for righteousness, this de desperate thirst to be right and to be in a right standing with God. And here's what's so amazing. Not only in Christ are we promised vindication, will the truth come out about us and what we didn't do wrong, but also we will be acquitted for all of the things we did do wrong. We're going to be forgiven for all the things we did wrong. We're going to be declared righteous, not because of anything you and I have ever done, but because of the righteousness of Christ that's given to us for free through faith in him. That righteousness is actually given to us. So in the end, we will be vindicated as well as acquitted. And if that doesn't give us more hope, I don't know what else could. You know, sometimes we really struggle with this. Um, actually, you know, the, the truth coming out can be freaky too, because then, you know, we'll be exposed to all that I did. I, I'm going to need righteousness, right? And in the gospel, in the same way when the psalmist cries out to God for vindication, if we cry out to God for forgiveness and righteousness through Christ, that's what we get. And then for the rest of eternity, God sees us as righteous in his sight. Do you know that about you if you're a follower of Jesus? When God looks at you, he sees you as righteous. That can't change. Uh, think about it this way. If you look through a piece of blue glass, everything beyond the glass will be what color? Blue, that's right. Now, here's a tricky one. What if it's red? Okay, what if it's red glass? Everything will be red. Okay, ooh, you're doing well. Here's the real hard one. What if it's yellow? Everything will be yellow. Okay, we're sensing a pattern. Listen, the good news of the gospel is that all that we've done, right or wrong, in one sense, is put aside because we get the righteousness of Christ, this fully righteous record, and for eternity, God looks at us through the lens of Christ, through the pure righteousness of Christ. And so when he sees us, he sees that righteousness. And guess what? When Christ returns and makes all things new, that's how everybody will see us as well, robed in the righteousness of Christ. And so whether it's that longing to be vindicated to prove you weren't wrong or that desperate need to be forgiven and declared righteous for the things you did do wrong, we have both in Christ. That is an incredible reason to have hope. So we want to depend on God for our righteousness and our reputation. And when we do, so when we believe deeply that we are righteous in God's sight, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us, then it allows us to draw to God in times of adversity, in times we need hope, instead of pull back. And this is what the psalmist does. I love the psalmist's honesty here. Look at verses 2 and 3. Let's talk about how the more we depend on God for understanding, the more hope we're going to have. The more we depend on God for understanding, the more hope we're going to have. Uh, his honesty is very palpable here. Look at verse 2. He says, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. In other words, you're the one I look to for everything I need here, God. So he's perplexed, right? You're the one in whom I take refuge. So why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? 
In other words, why are these guys, these adversaries doing this to me? Why am I going through this? If I'm taking refuge in you, God, why are you letting this happen? And so once again, we come face to face with the perplexity that you and I feel when we know that God is our God and we know that he's good and we know that he's powerful and we know that he could stop or prevent our suffering, but he doesn't. That's really perplexing, isn't it? And it might cause you to go away. It might cause you to draw back from God. But the psalmist, in the midst of his fear of being rejected and abandoned, he decides to depend on God for understanding. Look what he does. Verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and your dwelling. Holy hill, the dwelling, he's talking about coming into the presence of God for worship. And so he's feeling this distance What's going to lead him into the presence of God? God himself through his word. This is how we depend more on God for understanding. It's by immersing ourselves more in his word, studying, learning, reading his word more and more. Why do I say that? Well, because notice what the psalmist says. He says, send out your light and your truth. And if you look through the scriptures, all through the scriptures, we see God's word referred to as light and as truth. A couple examples. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A few verses later in 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding. Or in the New Testament. Peter in the New Testament Talking about the scriptures, he says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. So we see that light is often refer, used to refer to God's word. How about truth? Well, Isaiah 45, 19, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Or Ephesians 1, 13, Paul refers to the gospel as the word of truth, God's word, the word of truth. Uh, John 17, 17, which is our Wi-Fi password, by the way. John 17, 17, sanctify them, Jesus said in his high priestly prayer. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So now what we are seeing then is that the psalmist, not only depending on God for his vindication, his reputation, but he's, he's going to depend on God to make sense of what he's going through. And he's going to depend on God by looking to his word, letting his word lead him letting his word bring him into a heart space of wanting to worship. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, <laughs> do we believe that in the word of God there are things that he wants to reveal to us to help us understand the world, to help us understand life, to help us understand even the adversities we're facing? Do we believe the understanding we're looking for is in the word? If we do, then we will, we will go get it. We'll go after it. In 1715, there was 11 Spanish ships en route from Havana and back to Spain. And as they passed by the southeast coast of Florida, uh, a hurricane wrecked them all. And they all sank off the southeast coast of Florida. 
And later things would be discovered, and including uh, one of the ship's manifest, which said that on these 11 ships there was $400 million worth of gold and jewels and expensive things. And therefore, ever since that discovery, uh, two things. One, that part of Florida is called the Treasure Coast. Okay, Hannah and I know this very well because that's where her family lives, the Treasure Coast. And the other thing that's happened since the 1960s is people have gone there to look for treasure. They've gone there to look, and people have found treasure there. In fact, in 2013, a family found a bunch of gold coins that was worth $300,000. Hey, how was your day at the beach? Did you get a tan? So here's the deal. Uh, at this point, $175 million worth of jewels and gold has been discovered off the Treasure Coast, which quick math will tell you that $225 million worth of gold and jewels is still there. Okay. Now, before you get up and pretend like you're going to the bathroom, but you're really getting in your car and driving to the Treasure Coast, <laughs> just hold your horses. People really have, in fact, every time we go to the beach there, you see people, multiple people walking up and down the beach with metal detectors. You see that on every beach. But they're really serious on the Treasure Coast. You even see sometimes boats parked out in the water, and they're, they're looking for treasure. And they go, and they devote a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of money looking for the treasure for two reasons. One, they, well, for one reason, they know that it's there. They know that it's there for two reasons. One, the historical record tells us, and two, other people have found treasure there. So you know they believe it's there because they're looking for it. So here's the point. The psalmist believes the treasure of understanding that he wants is going to come from God through his word. And so the challenge here, the promise is that as we look to God's word, God's word will lead us. It will bring us closer to him. In the word of God, we will find the treasure of understanding things more deeply. Are you going to totally understand exactly why you're going through what you're going through? Probably not. Probably not until Christ returns. But will you gain Levels of understanding. Will you understand yourself more? Will you understand God more? Yes. Will you read things and discover things in the word, discover treasure in the word that will draw you to him, that will lead you into his presence, wanting to worship him? The psalmist thought so, and you and I should too. And it really points us to Jesus as well and understanding most of all that the word really is all about Jesus I mean, after all, Jesus tells us in John 8, he is the light of the world. And in John 14, he said he is the truth. And John tells us at the beginning of his gospel that Jesus is the word. So it's not just about digging for treasure in God's word, but understanding that the ultimate treasure is Christ himself. And the more we understand him, the more we understand everything. And the more we understand anything, the more hope you and I are going to have. So we want... To depend on God for our righteousness and our reputation, we want to depend on God for our understanding, and that takes a lot of digging and searching, but it's there. You can believe that that's there. Why? Because the Bible says so, and because other people have found it there too. And number three, we want to depend on God for our joy. 
We want to depend on God for our joy. Look at verses 4 and 5. The more we depend on God for our joy, the more we're going to hope, the more hope we're going to have. Uh, so look at 4 and 5. After the psalmist has asked God to lead him by his word, to bring him by his word, he says, then. In other words, here's what will happen. Here's what he believes. As God leads him by his word, here's what's going to happen. He says, then, verse 4, I will go to the altar of God to my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre. It's like a guitar. Oh, God, my God. Then I will go to the altar of God to God my exceeding joy. Now, let me tell you something. The Hebrew word that we translate here in English, exceeding joy, it comes from the root word for an aggressive, almost violent spin, spinning. I really thought about spinning around, but I was like, if I fall down and break my face, it's going to be awkward <laughs> for you and painful for me. But I mean, imagine that spinning. This is, this is a word that is not just saying like, whoo. This is even bigger than finding $300,000 worth of gold coins on the beach. This is, this is exceeding joy. This is the kind of joy that makes you want to spin. And the psalmist says, <laughs> well, notice, notice a couple things here. He's talking about going to the altar. He's talking about going in God's presence, God being his exceeding joy. Notice that his joy is not attached to some change in his circumstances. Doesn't say anything about it. His joy is attached to God. God is his exceeding joy. And so he believes he's going to go to the altar, and then, you know, in that time, that meant he would have offered a sacrifice, and then he would have worshipped God, and that God would be his exceeding joy. And then what he does is he then he starts talking to himself again. Last week, remember, we established it's okay to talk to yourself. In fact, it's important. Look at verse 5. He says the same thing that he said twice in Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, he knew that because he of who God is and what God was like, he could come into his presence, he'd be able to make that sacrifice, and then he would have God as his exceeding joy. And here's what's absolutely phenomenal about this. This draws a beeline to Christ, and let me show you how. The psalmist believes he will go to the altar, make a sacrifice, because God is his exceeding joy. And the gospel is the good news that God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, went to the altar as well. Not to make a sacrifice, but to be the sacrifice. To lay himself on the altar, as it were, nailed to the cross. Because why? Because you are his exceeding joy. If you want God to be your joy, you have to first understand that you are his. And it's why 
Christ came, and it's why Christ died to pay for our sins. It's why Christ was buried and rose from the dead. Because we are his joy. In fact, Jesus makes, or the, the, the author of Hebrews makes this clear about Jesus. Think about this. Hebrews 12, verse 2, talks about how Jesus, the founder and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As Jesus came to the altar, which is the cross, it was for the joy that was set before him. Oh, this unbelievable, exceeding joy that he knew would come, he knew he would have after his suffering. And that joy, which was enough to send him to the cross, the grave, and then be raised to life and to the skies. That joy, my friends, is you. And it's me. Did you know you're the joy of God? Did you know, as Zephaniah says in chapter 3, that when God thinks about you, he sings? It's true. You are his joy. And the more you believe that, as you believe it through Christ, then you see that he is your joy as well. And maybe, you know, a lot of times when we talk about suffering and going through hard things, there are people who have backed away. You might be still in physically in church, but spiritually you might have backed away. Some of you might be really wrestling with where God is at or what God is doing. You might even feel like you've been uh, kind of on a journey without him for a season. Well, here's what's amazing about this. This is telling us that we are his joy, and that doesn't change, and he doesn't go anywhere. He's always there with us and for us at all times. So if you've been backed off of God, hear God saying to you, sweet one, you are my joy. Come on home. Come on home. There was a man who was uh, from the city of Chicago, and he had moved to Kentucky. And he met a woman there, and they got married, and uh, they then moved back to Chicago. And for three years, everything was wonderful. And then uh, she, something happened in her, and she began to have all sorts of struggles and she would have these screaming fits. So much so that uh, the man's neighbors were complaining about her, and so he decided he had to move out to the suburbs. And so they, they moved out to the suburbs, and she continued to just struggle. She was not herself, and she was screaming and screaming. And there was, they didn't know what to do, and so uh, their doctor said, maybe if you take her back to where she grew up and she sees some familiar settings, maybe somehow that will help her come back to be who she was, and so they did. They, they went to Kentucky. They went to her home that she grew up in. They walked around there. Uh, they walked around the town. They went down by the riverside where she used to play. They went to a garden that she had frequently gone to. They did everything that uh, she used to do, and then after several days, uh, nothing seemed to be changing, so he decided he would go back with her to Chicago, pretty defeated and discouraged. They got in the car, and they started driving back, and uh, on the way there, he looked over and noticed that she had fallen asleep. And she was very peaceful. He said it was kind of the most peaceful sleep he'd seen from her in a long time. So when they got home, he opened her door, picked her up, still sleeping, carried her into the house, laid her on the bed, put a blanket on her, still sleeping. 
And then he sat there and just waited and watched with her all through the night. And it said when uh, the sun's rays began to peek underneath the curtain and the room started to lighten, uh, he noticed that she, she sat up. And he could tell that she was back. Something had changed. And she looked at him and she said, I, I seem to have been on a long journey. And she said, where, where have you been? And speaking out of days and weeks and months of patient waiting and watching, he said, my sweetheart, I've been right here waiting for you all this time. If you have drifted from the Lord, just know this morning, you are his joy and he has been waiting for you right here all this time. Depend on him for your righteousness, your reputation. Depend on him for understanding. Depend on him for your joy because the cross proves that you are his joy. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that if there's any here who have been drifting away, that this morning through your word, you would pull them back, hold them close, Help them to ignore the lies of the devil and to hear the truth of their God, that they are your joy. We are your joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Help us depend on you, Lord, more and more each day. And then give us the hope that comes with that. For your glory and our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.